0: You know, in hindsight, I I wouldn't change anything, but in hindsight, so many things make sense about ways in which things might have been more comfortable for me. If a a little bit messier, if I just like came out earlier out of either of the closets or both of them, I don't even know.
1: From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, a portrait of ARCA, the experimental electronic musician. Many, many months ago, when 2019 was coming to a close, all sorts of publications were putting together their end-of-decade lists. The best movies of the decade, the best albums of the decade, the best song of the decade. On one such list, Vice magazine highlighted perhaps an unexpected musician as one of the most influential artists of the decade. Her name is Alejandra Gersi, a.k.a. Arca. Unexpected because Arca hasn't sold nearly as many albums as, let's say, Shakira or Rihanna. But the Venezuelan producer and singer has been at the forefront of a movement, bringing experimental sounds and ideas into popular music. Since releasing her first mixtapes as Arca in 2011, she's put out album after album of boundary-pushing music. At the same time, behind the scenes... ARCA's been busy producing for artists like Kanye West,
0: on the toes again, tight dress, to him.
1: Frank Ocean,
0: oh, 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 oh,
1: and FKA Twigs. Helping to define a pop music landscape that's not afraid to get a little weird. In late June, Arca released her latest album. It's titled Kick One. It's her biggest production yet, featuring guest spots from Bjork and Rosalia, among others. Arca spoke with me on the phone from her home in Barcelona, Spain. We talked about growing up in Venezuela, her philosophies around music, and about finding herself as a trans woman. Bueno, Arca, I want to start at the beginning. You're born in Caracas, in Venezuela but you actually end up spending some of your early years in the United States, in Darien, Connecticut. So what was that like?
0: I was born in the Parroquia La Vega, which my brother would tease me, I was born in Las Vegas. And I had a, an experience in Venezuela that was very early on, like before preschool, and then after second grade. That's when I returned. If you can imagine that like gap, between preschool and third grade, I actually spent that in the States. A summary of those early years, that beginning was that in the American school, I was, my name was unpronounceable. And in the Venezuelan school, I was a gringo. So kind of didn't really feel like um, I was from one or the other. And I would actually, I was a little bit of a nerd. So I think I would like try and show off and like impress people in English class when I first arrived. Which was the wrong thing to do. I was just kind of an awkward gamer kid. It was just a crazy move for me. That was a that was difficult.
1: It seems like, and by the way, you know, I was born in Mexico, raised in Chicago, and it was the same thing mm. back then. Many, many totally. Lo mismo. You don't fit in in either place. Estres. <sighs> but it, it is. But I also think in terms of your work, like this was actually really formative. Definitely. You become that border crosser and that code switcher. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, yeah. So you talk about going back to Venezuela and you said it was almost a little traumatic. And I'm wondering, so what did you (laughs) do? Yeah, you're like, it was a lot. So what did you do with that trauma? Because that's a pretty young age. You're what, like eight, nine years old.
0: I don't know, but I know that I tucked it away until the moment where I could sift through it. That much I can tell you. So I went through a lot of skin sheds, you could call them, you know, in my life. Online, I had like another parallel life. I think the main thing was online chat programs. In a chat room, you will see a message and a timestamp and there's like seconds between people's talking. And you're talking about something that you're interested about because that's how chat servers kind of work. It's like they're grouped around, let's say, a theme or a topic or a field or, you know, interests or whatever. So, you know, it's like a real-time social hangout. And I've spent countless hours, you know, just speaking to people without knowing what they look like. And it really does change how you relate to people online.
1: That actually, that
0: notion to me (laughs) is scary. It is. And it's normal for it to be scary. I mean, the uncertainty and the unknown and having less information... It has pros and cons. I mean, because I kind of, you, I don't know, is it is it catfishing if you later come out as trans? You tell me because I had a, a relationship that I feel was uh, emotional and beautiful and libidinal with someone, but uh, but they didn't know what I looked like and I asserted my the gender identity that I wanted to share with this person who I was interested in, and I and I was so guilty about that. It was awful. Like I was like I I hated it, mm. and so. I would get these stomach aches that I know were related to the guilt and to the shame of that whole interaction. And I literally just pulled the plug on that. Um, and I just disappeared that username. I just like never do that again. The beautiful thing about opening up about that is that it was the first time I was having a conversation with someone and I felt I was being seen as the gender that I. Mm-hmm. felt regardless of being able to express it or not and that person not being able to say whether i the way i looked fit with their idea then i was terrified about all this stuff you know i was just i was closeted in, in more than one closet the whole thing is like there was no guidance there was no i didn't know a single openly gay person i didn't know any the fact of the matter is that there's who you're attracted to, which in Latin America and at that point in time in Minnesota, you know, being attracted to same sex or, you know, being trans is just so far away from the lexicon that it's almost like lumped into one thing, like queer. Like it's just like so other that yeah. there is no representation. And so mm. I was trying to fix myself. I was trying to coach myself out of all these behaviors that I felt could make me stick out in ways that were not going to get me to be liked.
1: There's not a lot of people who have said, I grew up in multiple closets, not just one, but in multiple closets. And so I'm wondering how you get from feeling so dark, mm-hmm. separate from yourself, mm-hmm. um, and then at the same time also being able to discover music. I mean, you're a teenager when you do your first musical project. It's under the name of Nuro, right?
0: Hello. My name is Nora
1: and I am an alcoholic. So talk to me about how music comes into your life when you're really it seems like struggling. I needed to make
0: maybe space for those feelings, but I couldn't do it through language or through my day-to-day, so you you go to art. I think that's what art is wonderful for creativity. I think creativity is this moment of flow where you do something for its own sake. It wasn't that my life was so noisy that how did I find space for music? It was the other way around. It was music is a way of organizing noise into something that feels pleasurable or at least cathartic or meaningful. And believe it or not, I would sometimes write lyrics that didn't even know what they meant. And then later I make sense of them. I'm really glad to have music because it's been a mirror that I've been able to look into many years throughout my life and and see those skin sheds very much archived emotionally, storytelling-wise, sonically, textually, timbrely, tonally. I remember where I was when I wrote each of them. They're very powerful checkpoints, if you will, you know, like from when I look back.
1: You leave Venezuela, you come to New York for college, and that's when you put out your first music as Arca. Correct. So, I'm wondering how you how you're translating here at NYU in New York these concepts about creativity and art and music. Were you able to articulate the musical philosophy that you had? Or no. were,
0: you, you were still no, 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 experimenting? Okay, so I arrived to New York and I don't have an idea of what I'm doing at all. Or these concepts of musicality or creativity, no. I've changed in my language about what I do a lot, but I, I like to think that I keep the same, not knowing what I'm looking for. You know, trying not to be put into a box, basically. Trying new things or trying to not let the previous thing that I did define me too much. and. Actually, the moments that I crave and that I seek still to this day is to not be fully in control of, of the music or the creativity, but to create a situation where it can surprise me. So like working with AI or working with randomization or working off, off you know, turning the grid off. And just seeing what things sound like. When people ask me sometimes, and they've met me, maybe I'm at like, you know, a nail salon and someone asks me what I do, I say they make music, they ask me what kind. I say electronic, because that's like an answer that's maybe just easy to, but really, every now and then throw out another word, which I find more fitting, which is experimental. And the thing is, experimental will usually elicit many more follow-up questions and sometimes I just like to be polite you know but there's an element of like joy in searching and not knowing what you're even searching for but having an idea like that's beautiful to me and that happens too with I think when I'm cooking I know that sounds silly but to try and consciously try and combine elements I haven't tried together and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't but if it works it's like so much more stimulating than if you just Autopiloted through it. So I don't really have that much of a clue what I'm doing when I'm making stuff. And I think that's the best creative state.
1: Coming up, Arca has an epiphany that changes her life and her music.
0: And I'm standing there in a thong no pants, in red heels with a torero jacket.
1: That's coming up, stay with us, no te vayas.
0: These days, Chelsea Handler tries to keep her and her friends' white privilege in check.
1: She starts, like, really getting weepy. And I was like, well, what What are you doing right now? You just said you read White Fragility. You cannot talk about reading White <laughs> Fragility cry. and start to cry.
0: Comedian Chelsea Handler on white privilege and a new book. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
1: back. Not long after Arca releases her first mixtapes, artists like Kanye West and FKA Twigs started seeking her out to produce for them, and Arca starts to gain stature in the experimental and electronic music worlds. Let's dive back into our conversation. Fast forwarding now, talk to me about what what happens then in 2017 when you put out your self-titled album in Spanish.
0: I remember asking people, my friends, what they thought about this strange urge that had built up in me to sing for the first time on my music as Arca, like without effect and explicitly saying like, this is me singing my voice, just unaltered, if you will, because my vocals up until that point had been heavily filtered through effects. So there was a lot of armor. And, And so at this point... 2017 mysteriously I feel compelled to open my mouth and sing and it happened to be one of the first songs I happened to record was Piel and Piel opens Quítame la piel de ayer In hindsight, when I listen to the lyrics of Piel, it's about a skin shed. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. it says. La piel mm-hmm. de ayer. It's absolutely a skin shed. It was a weird moment for me because the songs were intense and touring it was grueling. I was feeling exhausted because I was tearing up like every show. And I know that that's not a sustainable way to tour. If you look back at the dates, there really weren't many. And there was so much time between each show because I was pretty much a little bit terrified um, most of the time. And then also uh, having moments of epiphany. And one such epiphany happened around the album release time in 2017 when I played the show at the Roundhouse. And I remember standing under the epicenter of of that beautiful building, right? And it was literally round. So I'm in the center. I'm looking up and I see the dome. I'm under the center of it. And I hear a voice boom down at me, my own. And it just asked me. And I'm standing there in a thong, (laughs) no pants, in red heels with a torero jacket. Oh, my God. And a a voice asking me, coming down and just saying, Girl, what are you doing? uh?" (laughs) Like, no joke. It was with humor. It was with, and it was a sad emo song too, that the voice chimed in through. It was one of the, it was this song called Coraje. And there's this long pause in the center of it. And I remember I looked up theatrically and I was silent during the pause, you know, because I wanted to serve and give shows and whatnot. But during what I did not expect was that in hitting that pose, my own self-awareness would check in with me and pretty much just flick me on the forehead. And I started going to analysis after that.
1: So it was in performance when you realize that you want to do deep therapy.
0: I went to therapy and he was like, it's going to be years. I was like, are you trying to scare me away here? And he's like, I'm just saying, like, it's not going to be fast. And I was like, I'm not scared. Like, let's do it. And one of the things that I didn't expect would come up was me coming out as trans. I didn't plan for that. In fact, I was trying to have that not happen. I was like can I find another way to express this literally and then just like it would not stop bubbling up it was it was crazy i called my mother on christmas and i said i'm a woman and she was like i know i was like you know that could have helped so much if you just said one day randomly without me needing to say anything back that you knew seriously also this was after years of my dad being like do the shows Oh, would you have to dress as a woman on stage? Because I've been dressing with heels, you know, and doing lit and all this stuff for so long to the gender non-conforming part of my practice. My dad knew, but he was thinking, oh, that's a stage thing. And can you stop doing that stage thing? To the point where I was like, well, I don't know if we can have a relationship if we, if it's down to that, because for me, this is important. I was just trying to get him to understand was important. And he actually came around to it. He softened and opened up. Tons in ways that I didn't even think were possible. So my respect to both my parents, I know that they did the best they could and and I love both of them.
1: So talk to me about your latest
0: album, which is called Kick. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. But you out the past to prove it hips to move it around and make shapes, yes.
1: The opening track is non-binary. It includes the line, what a treat to be non-binary. And I want to know, I I mean, I'm looking at your, how you're documenting this moment, and as I was getting ready for this, I was like, the thing about Arca is that you sense and you give off so much joy about this moment as you are in this transition in this kind of space of owning your pronouns, and I'm wondering about that joy. Talk to me about it and and capturing it in your music.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for your warm words, and that is actually an encouragement that stays with me. So you know, so thank you for sharing that. You're welcome, Yamod. Ya You're welcome. Yeah. No, because it's not, It's not. you know, that's like, it's, it, it's, it doesn't always happen, you know? So it's like, it's very cool. Thank you. Um, I, I think for me, regarding how to share joy, I, I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated with the idea of standing in the shadow, right? But looking toward the light, like find this balance where you don't have to run from the painful things or try to hide or escape from the painful things and at the same time, are able to feel joy and possibility. I try to feel both at the same time. So it's like a kind of tension between those two things that makes me be able to say, you know what? I want to share this joy. I want to celebrate. I don't know what's going to come from it, but I I know that I'd like to use this platform and I want to say something that's important to me, you know? And I also want to just uh, have fun and try to enjoy the process and not put too much pressure on myself, but also take that responsibility, you know, w- with care.
1: I'm thinking in part about this particular album and what you have said, which that in some ways this album has been about reconciling your Venezuelan heritage and your trans Latinx identity. And so I'm wondering, talk to me about how you see that in this album.
0: It's interesting, right? Because my perception is that, like, venezuela is not the most like it doesn't have the most representation you know in terms of like music or pop or filmmaking like there is like a latin movement you know of art and some countries have more representation and more cultural export and production than others right and so i've always craved and wanted more films more books more music like to come out of venezuela and to like resonate outside of venezuela so most of all i think because of this, the horror stories that you hear, things that are, you know, like straight out of like you couldn't, the unthinkable, you know, and like not wanting to look away, you know, from the situation in Venezuela. So, I, mm. I, that's also part of why I think it would be beautiful if Venezuelan art was maybe seen and heard and felt more often because there's story, there is mm. wonderful work being made and mm. the stories that are being told no tiene nada que ver con eso it, I mean we don't
1: really you're right I mean when you think of Venezuela right now you don't think of flourishing art sadly um in this album there are a few songs that are influenced by reggaeton um I want to talk for a moment about Make it Trefe Mami Qué es eso de qué es eso me, tre, me que trefe,
0: <laughs> qué es me a que trefe, ver, qué es qué es me que trefe. A ver
1: un tipo, <laughs> que, oh que, my god, tipo, you became so Venezuelan oh, right there. You were like, a ver
0: me que trefe. <laughs> it's like un tipo que, un tipo malo, un tipo que o oh, no vale para nada. La caca es just. A good for nothing or a troublemaker or a trouble starter or lazy, you know, just not, you know, <laughs> just not being a, a not the a good guy, guy. Okay. not being the upstanding guy, right? And so, okay, there's like a sexiness to that figure that I was saying, Mami, quiere me que trefe, ya se lo merece. like to say, not only does she want a mequetrefe, this kind of bad boy, uh-huh. she deserves one, you know, like there's an element of. Joy there as well. So, um, in
1: 2019, Vice identified you as, quote, one of the artists of the decade. So to be honest with you, Arca, when I'm preparing to do interviews, I'm like, oh, yeah, but oh, my God, (laughs) she's been one of the artists of the decade. She's worked with Kanye West. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I going to and Arca, you are so down to earth. So to my view, have your feet on the ground, but your head as an artist, you know, exploding in the clouds. But, you know, the truth is, is that you have been labeled most influential artist of the decade what does that feel like what do you what do you do with that arca ¿O no haces nada con eso
0: well it's i have a funny relationship with press i like because i don't know like i try i guess i try to see it as encouragement and not as pressure i kind of just go like Got it. Oh my gosh, that's so encouragement. Oh my, because I don't believe the words. I don't think I am, you know, uh, a decade. And it's like so hyperbolic. But I was moved and by the gesture, you know? And so that's kind of how I interpret that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, so totally over the top and exaggerated and not true, but also gonna take that as a compliment and also as a reminder to try to keep making work that can mean something to me and also to others. Maybe I would say I'm trying to let positive feedback in more. I'm trying to work on that. So not to feel smug, but just to like believe that other people mean that when they say it and and let that in.
1: I hope you believe it. You are an extraordinary artist and an extraordinary human being. And it's been my pleasure to speak with you, Arca. Muchas, muchas gracias for a beautiful interview.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Gracias a ti. Arca's latest album, Kick One, is out now on XL Recordings. This episode was produced by Marlon Bishop and edited by Sofía Palizacar. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macías, Luis Treyes, Antonia Cerejido, Janice Amoca, Ginny Montalvo, Alicia Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Raúl Pérez. Special thanks to Jennifer Sanchez for her help with this episode. Our engineers are Stephanie Lebeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelholtz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our New York Women's Foundation Ignite Fellow is Julia Rocha. Our interns are Sofia Sanchez and Marie Mendoza. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Stay safe. Hasta la próxima. Ciao.
0: Latino USA is made possible in part by The New York Women's Foundation, funding women leaders that build solutions in their communities and celebrating 30 years of radical generosity. Carnegie Corporation, promoting the advancement and diffusion of knowledge and understanding. And The Annie E. Casey Foundation creates a brighter future for the nation's children By strengthening families, building greater economic opportunity, and transforming communities.